Amen. Amen. We're talking about reclaiming church. And uh, this morning I want to talk to you about being holy His. Holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, and then holy with a W. Holy His, completely His. And what does it mean to be married to God? What does it mean to be married to God? I thought, uh, I thought my first few years of marriage would be pretty easy. So Beth and I, uh, you know, we met in youth group when we were little, and I knew her from across the, the she was the tall girl on the other side of the church, you know, so and her dad was my, uh, one of my Sunday school and Royal Ranger commander leaders, we had a Wednesday night ministry, and so I knew her, and at 16 we started dating, and we dated and were engaged, dated and engaged for six years before we got married, and we were the only ever boyfriend, girlfriend we've ever known, right? And so, you know, it's like after six years, you probably are ready, right? I was ready. I know I was ready to get married. But, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, we got this thing. But, you know, even though we had dated for six years, engaged, we were engaged for one of those years, a whole year we were engaged, and uh, we still had to work really hard our first year of marriage. Why? Because dating and marriage are completely different. Amen? Dating and marriage are completely different. Even if it's a serious dating relationship, we had to learn what compromise was, mostly me. I had to learn what communication was. Uh, we had to learn how to be selfless for the interest of the other person. You had to learn that uh, you know, being right doesn't always matter if being right the wrong way is how you get there. Uh, you can be right and still be wrong. Did you know that, husbands? Yes, okay, good. Uh, you can be right and still be wrong. Uh, you had to learn how to make every decision together, even the little things, like what I want to eat for today. Those little things you didn't have to do in dating, but in your marriage you do. You had to communicate. Sometimes the thing that you don't naturally communicate, sometimes it's not just as much as what you say, but it's what you also don't say. Why? Because the Bible says in Genesis that the two shall be one what? Flesh. One flesh. It's two persons becoming one. You know the story, Eve was formed from Adam's rib, and, and when we get married, the Bible says that you leave the union of your uh, parents, and you cleave or are joined to, and the literal word is glued to, your spouse. You are united as one person, one direction, one vision, one mission in life, one place, one unit. You are now one physical unit set to move forward a new creation you are together. And so what happens there is everything you do and don't do affects the other person. So that's why in adultery, when a person even has a secret uh, marriage or a secret physical relationship outside the marriage, do you know that even if no one even says it and the other person doesn't find it out, it already has begun to affect the marriage? There's a, a breakdown of intimacy before the other spouse even knows. Let me tell you, there's something that's already happened in that union, it's already begun to broke, uh, be broken down. The emotional, the mental, the relational, all that stuff begins to break down because one individual act from the unit affects the other person. One thing you do affects the other person. That's why even in a lesser degree, uh, when we make decisions as a couple, if you're married, uh, you have to ask, hey, will this hurt my spouse? Will it bless my spouse? Does my spouse care about this? How will this affect the other person? Because what we do matters. 
What I do as an individual or don't do matters because we are one flesh. Now, what does that have to do with today? In the Christian life, it is exactly the same. The Bible says that we are joined together with Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are married to Him in a spiritual, even deeper way. Not only does we, do we have the, the body, we are the body of Christ, but we are one spirit with Him. And so everything we do in this greater union of Christianity, we're glued to Him as one, not just in the flesh till death do us part, but guess what? With Christ, you're married for eternity. Right? When I married Beth, it was till death do us part, and then in heaven, right? We're done. But, but with Christ, I'm married now and forever. I'm glued in this union with Him in body and in spirit, in a deeper, deeper communion than we can even imagine. And so what happens is that everything I do in this union affects the other person. Everything I do or don't do matters. The problem is in Christianity today, we can still act like we're single. We can still act like we're not in a marriage relationship. For instance, we still want to have the freedom to do what we want when we want. We want to be able to say things how we want to say them and how we uh, feel like saying them. Uh, we want to buy and sell things without considering. What happens when you buy that brand new truck, husbands, and you come home and you didn't tell your wife you bought it, right? It matters what you do and you don't do. And, and we don't think about Christianity that way. What I buy and what I sell, what I say, what I don't say, where I go and what I do. If I've involved that person in my life, if I told Beth, hey, we're having, I'm going on vacation next week, you and the kids have fun at home, that probably would present a problem in my marriage relationship because we're one flesh. But I don't consider Christ that way. I don't think about Him in my daily affairs, perhaps. How would that work in an earthly marriage? You know, see, the world is not married to God, so they can have philosophies like this. You only have one life to live, so you might as well live it enjoy it. Or perhaps it's your body, just do whatever you want with it. It's my body, my rules, my life, don't judge me. That's single talk. That's single talk. Or perhaps even it says that your earthly family comes first. And that would be the same thing as me saying that my parents and my old life relationships comes before my new family relationship that I have in Christ. But we as Christians have a greater family and a greater head because we have the husband, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Okay, let's go into that a little bit. So what does the Bible say that we are holy and holy His. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. So Corinth was this very secu uh, secular and sexual culture. Uh, Paul has written back to a church in all kinds of problems. We've gone through some of those of uh, denominational disunity, uh, immorality, uh, rich versus poor. People are suing one another in the church. It's got all kinds of problems, but they were boasting in how well they were doing and how many spiritual gifts were evident in their church and that they had some great teaching and they weren't involved in persecution and, and God was just doing some awesome stuff, they thought. And Paul says, yeah, but I hear all kinds of stuff. And so he begins to talk to them about some issues that they were having. Specifically in this uh, context, there was uh, temple worship. And now there's debate on how big it was, but in this uh, area there was Aphrodite. And you could go to the temple and worship the God of sexuality, sensuality, and fertility. 
And one way that people could do that was to engage in relations with prostitutes, male and female. And that was, a, and it's, and it's kind of weird for our culture today, but that was how they would worship the God in that way as an act of worship to the God of sensuality. And so that sensual culture had permeated the entire area. Uh, Corinth was the Las Vegas. It was the New Orleans uh, French Quarter. It was that kind of a place. And sensuality was celebrated in worship. They even had parades, uh, sensual parades, again, much like our New Orleans and Paul was writing to this church, and there were some believers in the church who still felt they could still do all these sensual things because, after all, it was just culture. It was just the way the world was. And so they, there was a, a remnant of them that believed that, you know, you could really do whatever you wanted in your physical life because this physical body is going to die. And God really only cares about the heart. He really only cares, you've heard this stuff before, He really only cares about your spirit. You know, it don't judge me with what I do with my body because really God just looks at the heart. Have you heard this message before? God just looks at the heart. He don't look at the outer man. He doesn't really care what you do with your body so long as He has your heart. And that idea with this sensual culture had combined and formed some not good things and some not good doctrines. And so they said, well, your body's going to die. So you have these natural appetites, like you have food. You have to have food to live. And they thought sensuality, uh, sexuality, was a natural appetite of the flesh, so you might as well. It's just like eating. It's just like drinking. It's just part of our culture. I can wear what I want to wear, do what I want to do, be with who I want to be with, so long as God has my heart. I'm okay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is exactly what's happening in our culture today. So let's look at what Paul says to these people who thought, I can do whatever with my body and still be a Christian. After all, all things are lawful for me. So he says this, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, he says, yeah, but not all things are profitable. And all things are lawful for me, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And food is for the stomach or the belly. And that word belly there is the appetite of the flesh. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God's going to do away with them both. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. And don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? And shall I take the members of, a, of our body of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins or glues himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So flee sexual immorality and every other sin that a man commits outside the body, uh, but, but the sexual immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Let's read that again. You are not your own, for you have been redeemed or bought with the price. Therefore, glorify your God in your body. He's saying, are you cheating on Christ with your body in thinking that what you do in this life doesn't really matter to this union that you have, that you are together as a married couple in Christ, how can you think what you do or don't do doesn't affect the union? You are joined with Christ in body and in spirit as a married couple the same way will be joined together. So do you know that you have two bodies 
you have two flesh, two fleshes in, in a sense. Let me explain. In the Greek, Paul separates these out in the New Testament. And the first one is called sarks, S-A-R-X, sarks. This is the word we use for flesh, like skin, tissue, you know, the flesh, okay? But the sarks also means the, the immoral man that's going to die. It means the part of you that will not be resurrected. It's that fleshly desiring part of you, that your natural carnal man that God knows is corrupted. And if you don't control this part of you, it's going to sin. And this is the part that Corinth said, I can do whatever I want with my sarks. I can do whatever I want with my flesh because God just looks at the heart. And Paul says, no, 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 don't you know that you're not just sarks, you're not just flesh and bones that's going to die. See, some people in Corinth didn't believe in the resurrection. They just thought God's going to have your spirit in heaven, so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. But he said, no, 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 you are also not just sarks, but you are soma, S-O-M-A. Soma is the part of you that is the whole body. The word means body. And it's what we think about, mind, body, heart. It's the whole you, the real you. And in your soma is your sarks. That I am a body, I'm a Heath Harris, I have a personality and, a, and a relationships and emotions and a spirit. And this soma, one day the Bible says, will be resurrected to a new soma, a new resurrected body that God has invested his son's death in purchasing so that this body, like his body, will be resurrected one day. And, but I still, every day, in my soma, deal with my sarks. I have fleshly appetites I've got to learn how to control. And this physical body will die, but that's my sarks, but my soma will live forever. And they didn't understand this. They didn't understand this concept that you are more than just your fleshly appetites. You're more than just flesh and bones. You are soma. You have, God has invested in you, not just in your spirit. And he's not just really invested just in your heart. He's invested in your whole being. Somebody say amen. He's not just invested in a part of you. He died to purchase all of you. So as a married couple, everything you do and that you don't do, what you say and what you don't say, Christ cares about. He cares about all of you. There's no compartmentalization of Christianity. You are wholly His. Wholly His. Now, how does that relate to you and me today? Now, we not only live in this overly sexualized culture, uh, millions and millions are addicted to pornography, you watch any TV show, even the wholesome shows, the wholesome shows today that come out, which I don't know what those are, but the wholesome shows that may come out in today's culture, you know, premarital sex is just the norm. It's just something that is a part of this culture. You never, I haven't yet to see a TV show made in the last 10 years that doesn't promote pre-sex or premarital sex or, or any of this stuff. There's just an overly sexualized culture. We live in Corinth today. But you know that only not only that is spoken of in our in our culture and our society, but we have a, a idea that says, "Do what makes you happy. Just be happy. Just be you, and do what you need to do to make your life the most fulfilled in this life. You only have one life to live, so live it up. And you know, along the way, be sure you have some me time. Everybody needs me time. You need a little a little dirty habit on the side just to get you through the week. You need a little guilty pleasure. You hear these phrases? little guilty pleasure now and then. Just satisfy those sarks so you can get through your week. That's preaching. Just satisfy a little bit of the flesh 
take a little of the edge off, little hit of this, little hit of that, just to get me by. Because it's my body, I only live once, and you need to put yourself first. Is that not today's theology? That is the theology of a single life. And perhaps in Christianity, we have brought too much of our old life into our married life with God. I think we assume too much, just like I didn't have it all figured out, even though I'd been together with Beth for six years. I had a lot of work to do to learn what it meant to be married. And every Christian's the same way. We have to get married to Christ and learn how to leave our single life behind us and work to be married to the Lord. Amen? That's point number one. Number two is, number one is that we have a self-centered attitude we have to learn to leave behind when you're married. Number two is that we have to learn to leave behind divided interests. You know, after marriage, um, did, you ever, did you ever look back and say, man, I miss those single days when you could just get up and go and do whatever you want to do? Mostly that was about parenting for me. Don't you just miss when we could just go and do what we wanted to do before we had kids? And sometimes even married couples, you look to your single life and isn't it a, wouldn't it be a bad idea that every time things got hard in your married life, you were thinking about when you were single? What would that say to your heart? What would that say to your spouse? What would that mean for your marriage and the place that it's at? You're always looking back to the good old days when you just ran the roads and you, you went from relationship to relationship. You can do what you want to do. You weren't anchored down. And there are people today that are in their marriage looking back to the glory days of their high school or their college years before they were ever married. And sometimes as Christians, people do this. They're joined to God, but they look backwards in their life. First Peter chapter 4 says this, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, the sarks, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time is already past. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued the course of that sensuality and lust and drunkenness and wild parties and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. He's saying, the time is now to grow up. When you get married and you get into your 30s, you realize, you know what? I don't do the things that I did in my 20s anymore. Those things have passed. I'm in a new place, new season. We're looking forward. And the same is true for Christians. It's like Lot's wife where they said, don't look back behind you. In that place, that's where judgment is coming. Look ahead to where God is calling you to be. And as a Christian, I'm not looking back and thinking, man, if I could just have a drink today, or if I could just watch that movie that I really want to watch, or if I could just do the things that some other people are doing in the world, I wish I could miss church more like those people that miss church. I wish I didn't have to be a good Christian and watch what I say at work. Come on, listen. Is real talk. This is how people are living their Christianity now in America. I wish I could just be one of the guys and let my guard down. I wish I could give a little flirtation to that person who's flirting with me at work, but I'm going to be a good Christian. That is not the talk of a Christian who's in love with a passionate God who is looking forward in their life into holiness. We don't look back to the things of the world. We look forward not to please ourselves, but to please him. We don't have divided interests. Our life is not our own. We are united with him, intent on one purpose, Paul says. And I wonder how many Americans have lost their first love 
in the church, it's to be captivated by Christ, to be in honest pursuit of Him, and not just getting by. I don't want to just get by in my marriage. <clears throat> I don't want to have a dull marriage. I don't want to have a marriage that doesn't have any romance in it. I don't want to have a marriage that doesn't go on any dates. I don't want to have a marriage that's just living life from week to week. And sometimes it's easy to do that. And then you get bored and then you get complacent and then you start looking backwards and thinking, man, I wish it was the way it used to be. But that's not what we want our marriage to be and that's not what we want our Christianity to be. It is that there ahead of us is the best days for being with Christ. Amen. We have to leave self-centered ideology. We have to leave divided interests. And lastly, you have to leave compromised values. I've uh, done multiple marriage counselings with couples over the years. And uh, one of the things that I often say, especially in premarital counseling, is that you cannot have a best friend of the opposite sex. And you may disagree with that theology, but that's Heath Harris, and I believe it's the Word of God uh, in my interpretation. You cannot have, as a married couple, you cannot have a best friend of the opposite sex. And time and time again, that statement is proven right because it doesn't work. Why? Because even though it might be not a strict law, it may not be some uh, written rule. It's like Paul says, there are some things that may be permissible, but they're not beneficial to you. Because why? You will start sharing more of your heart with that person than you think you do. And then one day you'll wake up and you've given too much of your heart heart away to that best friend of the opposite sex. And you'll realize this person has replaced a piece of my heart that my spouse should have been having all along. I've been confiding things in my best friend, and sometimes it's the same is true for our in-laws or our moms or our dads, and we, instead of sharing our hearts with our spouse, begin to turn back and share our problems and our stresses and our anxieties with that coworker we get too close with, or even go to our back to call our moms instead of talking to our spouse, or call our dads instead of talking to our spouse, and we are not left the old union to be fully joined into the new union and slow compromises one day will master us it may be permissible but is it beneficial you know your spouse uh, I had a couple one time it's like your spouse has the right to tell you no about that relationship that you're in oh no no, no but I've been friends with this person for years and your spouse now has the right to tell you no because your spouse is a greater union than that person. You see, a casual marriage is a compromised marriage, and a casual Christian will be a compromised Christian because slow compromises will master you. And any time there's sexual sin in a marriage, it's because we've had compromised values. We neglected to value the body of our spouse. We've neglected to value the body of ourself. And so when we sin, we've neglected the value of something. When we sin physically, we've, we've ne neglected the value of something, and that's the same with Christ. When we sin against Christ, it's because we've neglected the value of who Christ is. And sometimes it's we've neglected the value of who He's called us to be. And we didn't think about ourselves that highly, that we're not called to live into that place and do those things anymore and think those thoughts. And that he's so worthy and he's so wonderful and, and I don't want to sin against my wife because I value her and I respect her and I respect myself. And so the same is true for Christ because I value Christ at such a degree that I won't sin against him. 
We're going deep today, but I hope you're with me because that's the same thing. It's a marriage. It's because I, I choose to see how wonderful he is. So what's permissible and beneficial in the Christian life? We can be free to choose how we dress. We can choose to have social media. You can get tattoos. You can watch our movies. You can have a beer now and again. You might want to listen to secular music. Go to a game on Sunday now and again. Fill your weekly calendar till you're overflowing with all these extracurricular activities. It's all permissible, perhaps, but is it beneficial? You see, one day we'll wake up with all these things that have preoccupied us, so we've never talked to our spouse over the dinner table. We don't consider them anymore as we think our thoughts. We plan our activities. We realize we've never had intimacy, we don't communicate like we once did, and we've traded our first love for a fleeting fling. And the same is true for Christ. One day we may wake up and say, man, I've compromised my values, and I've got to get back to my first love that this person, when Beth and I started dating, man, I bet we started, we talked at like 3 a.m. in the morning because we were so captivated by each other. And, you know, in your first year of marriage, you're excited, you want to do things, and, and they, like nobody else in the world even exists. Like, you could just be there. It's going to be us, babe, for you and me in this house, and this is our forever home, and we're never going to leave it, and, and who cares about the rest of the world? We're just going to sit here on the front porch and drink sweet tea every day for the rest of our life. You know, and, and you have all these dreams, and then life comes in. And the romance is harder to keep, and the stress comes. You have to work to keep valuing that person, to value that relationship. And the same is true for Christianity, for Christ. We have to work to get value, to see the value, the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, Paul says. That's why he says in Romans 12, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your soma body to him as a living sacrifice. Present your soma body, your whole body, your mind, your heart, your energy, your devotion, your whole being to him, not just your fleshly part, your whole being. Present your whole self to him as a living sacrifice. Give it all to him. Give everything you have to your, to your spouse. Give everything you have to Christ. What have I put in place of my relationship with Christ? There are some things I have to guard there are things that we have to do to keep our relationships healthy. In our marriages, it might be setting time each week to talk and sit at the dinner table. It may be going on regular date nights. It may be keeping yourself, I've, you know, our staff, our spouse, we, our, our staff here, we don't go in each other's offices of the opposite sex. We don't ride in the car with people of the opposite. There's rules that we have to keep ourselves safe. The same is true for, those aren't, those aren't laws, those are things because I value the relationship. The same for Christianity, I value my relationship with Christ, so I commit to pray every day. I commit to read my Bible. I commit to attend church as often as possible. I commit to watch what I watch on TV. I commit to these things because, not because they're rules or religions, I commit because I value the intimacy I have with Christ. I hope you're hearing me. And lastly is this. You and I are in holy matrimony. Holy matrimony. One day this relationship will be consummated in a spiritual sense. And Revelation 19 says there's this great invitation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding feast is to be at hand. 
And Christ the groom is coming to redeem his bride, but he, Ephesians says, Paul says he wants his bride to be without spot or stain or wrinkle, without blemish or any such thing, that he has died to present her to himself as this bride adorned for her wedding feast. And John the Revelator says in Revelation 19 that that, that righteous acts of the saint is like that white wedding dress robe and that when we come, there's not only this invitation, but that bride is called to prepare herself for that day. I have preached a few weddings where we don't start on time. Why? Because she's still getting ready, right? Because she wants to be beautiful when she walks through that aisle and they say, all rise, and everybody turns and looks and, and the groomsmen, their shoulders turn and watch her as she comes down the aisle and everybody stands and, oh, you know, she's wonderful, she's so, she's so beautiful. Everybody's crying. That's going to be that day where we have been preparing and preparing and preparing the righteousness of our hearts to say, God has cared about my mind, my body, my soul, soul, my spirit. Jesus, I've been working every single day to get to that day because that's the day where it's the new beginning. Man, it's a forever day. It's happily ever after forever. And that's what we're working towards. So what am I pursuing? It'd be like her old boyfriend comes in the wedding room, you know, as she's getting ready. Are you sure, babe? Yeah, come on, man, we're gonna, you know, you could skip this joint, right? Well, my uncle, when they had they they uh, in our, they had this tradition growing up where they would kidnap the bride and the groom. You had this in Louisiana where they have the shoe and you got to go around and get money or something and then get her back. It's kind of like, are we are we are we trying to get out of this thing? Are we concerned, man? When we are getting married on the day, it don't you it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the world. Today is your preparation day to be married, and that's right now. Today is our preparation day. And how are we preparing ourselves? Is are we so focused? Are we focused on boats and jet skis and vacations and money and houses and hobbies and, and all this stuff? None of that is bad stuff. None of that is, that's permissible stuff. But is my heart affection, is my goal of my gain, is my eyes focused that when you look down that aisle, your eyes are intent on him and his eyes are intent on you. It's preparation day. You see, the body and the spirit of Christ is ours. So must our body and spirit be his. Holy his. Holy his. Are you joined to something that you shouldn't be? Have you been living the single Christian life? Are there any distractions that hinder your union with Christ? Do you have healthy boundaries in place to keep the value of your relationship? And is he your first priority?